The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. John chapter number 3. Let me read for you verse number 16 down to verse number 21. We'll bow for a word of prayer. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Our Father, we come to you now and thank you for this good music and opportunity to worship today and Bible study hour. We thank you that we can open your word and read it. I pray that you'd encourage those that are here today uh, who are believers, Lord, to be faithful to you. And I pray for those who are unbelievers that you would convict them of their sin and of righteousness and of judgment and that they would put their faith and confidence in Jesus Christ today. We love you and we thank you for your goodness and mercy. For it is in the name of Jesus we do pray these things. Amen. I was reading an article this last week, and uh, Gallup had done a poll recently over 150 countries and multiple thousands of people, and uh, they were asking hundreds of questions of these people, and uh, Tom Rath, the uh, author kind of of the study, he ended up putting the findings of this Gallup poll into a book called Well-Being, Five Essentials. Well-Being, Five Essentials. And so after they had polled all of these thousands of people and saying, what makes a good life? What makes somebody well off? How do you know that you are living the good life or you have a well-being? What are the most essential things in life? They were able to boil it down out of 150 countries and thousands of people. They were able to boil it down to five essential areas that you needed to have well-being in your career, in your social life, in your finances, in your physical well-being, and in your community. Let me, let me say that again. Uh, Tom Rath says in Well-Being, Five Essentials, that you must, in order to be a well-off person, you must be doing well with your career, with your social life, with your finances, with your physical well-being, and with your community. Now, brothers and sisters, I would just say to you today that fundamentally there is a flaw in a study like that, and I think probably two of the flaws are that nothing was mentioned in the study at all about a relationship with the God of eternity. You see, and the other thing is that all of these things are that they mention here, these five areas or essential areas of life to be well off, although they are important, your career, your relationships, your physical well-being, your community, all of that is temporary. 
All of that is for a temporal life. And so how is it that they even said in the study that we speak for 98% of the world. If you want to be a person who is well-being and well-off, these five areas of your life should be under control. And write an entire book about the well-being of a human being and never one time mention the God of eternity and the everlasting destination of the human soul. You see, we come to a text like this today, and the issue for us is that the Bible would say also in Romans 11.22 that we are to behold both the goodness and the severity of God. And the text that's before us in John 3 today speaks both of the love of God that saves humanity and gives them eternal life through Jesus Christ, but it also speaks of the very judgment of God for those who do not believe and trust in Him. You see, the main idea when we come to verse 16 to verse 21 is this, you will either be redeemed eternally by God's love, or you'll be judged completely by the light of His holiness. Well, I didn't write a book and I didn't make a bunch of money and I, I, I know that I, I probably couldn't write on the well-being of life, but what we can say is that the catechism question this week, though a tough one, I think is more weightier and means more to us than all of those areas of life. For the question that the catechism presents us this week is, what happens to those people who do not believe in Jesus Christ? And the answer in the catechism is found exactly in the Bible, and that is that those who do not trust Jesus Christ in this lifetime spend an eternity in the everlasting torment of a place called hell. And so the doctrine of hell and the judgment of God is wrapped into today's sermon. And let's try and look at it in light of the love of God who saves people and the light of His holiness who will judge us if we do not believe on Him. Look back at verse 16 to 21. Jesus is speaking in the context here to the most religious person of His day who had the Scriptures who should have known the way of eternal life. In fact, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus in chapter 3. He is a Pharisee. He is very religious. He keeps all of the law or what he thinks is keeping the law. He dots all the I's. He crosses all the T's. He has the Word of God. He should know the way of salvation. And Jesus says, says to him that you have all of these things, but you've never been born again. You are not a child of God. And I just wonder if maybe all of us in here today should listen up and listen to what Jesus has to say about the love of Christ in eternity and the judgment of God, His holiness that judges unbelievers because I have a sneaking suspicion that there are people in this room today who are just like Nicodemus. See, Nicodemus was probably a lifelong Southern Baptist, right? Maybe I'm reading between the lines here. He is maybe Baptist born and Baptist bred and when he died, he would be Baptist dead. And I know that there are a number of people in this congregation today and you've been a part of a religious Baptist church all of your life and you think that you know the Word of God and you certainly keep all of the traditions that you've been told and now you've reached an age in life in which you think that you have signed, sealed, and delivered it and you know what it is and yet I think Jesus would speak into the life of all of us here today and say, why don't you check according to me? And not just your tradition. And not just your church membership. And not just your baptism or how long you've been on a roll. 
and not how much you know about the Bible. Why don't you ask yourself today, am I truly a believer in Jesus Christ with an eternal home in heaven? Or have I been living a religious life and never come to the true knowledge of turning from my sin, putting my faith and confidence in Jesus Christ, and allowing Him to be the Lord and the Master of my life. Well, let's look here. Let's pay close attention to what Jesus has to say about the love of God and the light of His holiness. First of all, from verse 16 to 18, let's look a little bit at the love of God. Let me read those for you again, and I'll make a couple of comments. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to judge the world or condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not condemned or judged. He who does not believe has already been judged because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Let me just make a couple of points here about the love of God. First of all, I would like for you to understand today that the love of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is free to us, but it is not cheap. The love of God is free. It is, look back at verse number 16, for God so loved the world that He gave. You'll notice in verse number 17, it speaks of the sending nature of the Father for the Son. And so this is the carrying out of the mission. But in verse number 16, the emphasis is on the sacrificial free gift that God offers to the world. Now, I don't want to poppy any of your bubbles, but I do want you to understand the text uh, accurately. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody say, for God so loved loved you and me that He sent His Son. The word so in this passage is not an emotional term. It's a directive term. The issue in this passage is not that God loved you so much like you are. That you are so valuable and worthy that somehow God needed to find a way. No, it's a directive. God loved you like this. God loved you in this way that He sent and He sent His Son to die and He gave Him on the cross to die for unbelievers who had put their faith and confidence in Jesus Christ alone. The gift of salvation is free. You can't earn it. You can't do enough to, to, to get into heaven. It's not by proxy nor your family, but it is a free gift of God. But I want you to understand that the free gift of salvation cost everything to the Father. It cost Him His own Son who had to leave heaven and be born into this world and live and die on the cross and be raised again so that we might have the opportunity to have salvation. And if you're in this room today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we freely invite you to trust in the free grace of Christ, but you must understand that it is not cheap at all. Jesus came into this world to identify with us, to go to the cross and to take all of the sin and all of the shame and all of the physical and spiritual beating for our sins. When Jesus dies on the cross... You might could say that all of the pain of hell he embraced in his body and his spirit. For hell is the just wrath of God upon unbelievers 
who live rejecting Jesus. And when Christ died, He took the wrath of God into His life for you. Can I pause for a moment and make a premature application for you? If you're in here today, and maybe you're a believer, you trusted Christ as your Savior, if you're living a life that is not holy and righteous and giving everything you have to serve Jesus and serve your congregation, if you're not trying to live according to Jesus Christ, what you're saying is the free gift that you are given in Christ Jesus is not worth much. And when we live kind of lives that are worldly and sinful and going the wrong way, we demonstrate to the world that Jesus really isn't worth much. The holiness of our life is a testimony to the world of the worth of Jesus Christ and the blessedness of His sacrifice and how much we value what He did at the cross. But if you think that you just somehow in your life, yes, I'll take Jesus as a fire escape from hell. Yes, I'll take Jesus so that I have some sort of assurance in my life. But it doesn't change the way that you think and you act and you treat other people. If it doesn't change you from the inside out, then what you're saying it is just a cheap knockoff. For you, it might be as good as buying the Ikes from the guy on the corner. You know what I mean? You guys know what Ikes are, right? Y'all don't know what Ikes are? It's those knockoff brand of the Nikes. Y'all, y'all know, man, when I, okay, so I grew up in Florida. I got something to tell you. Maybe y'all didn't have that up here. There's this guy that sold tennis shoes on the side of the side of the road, and he would get the ones where like the end had not been sewed on correctly, and the soles they were like triple wides and stuff. Nobody used them at all, and he would sell them for the same price as Nike brand tennis shoes. And we called him the Ike guy. Okay, I guess he wasn't up here. It's as if you're buying a knockoff. You're treating Jesus as if He's selling something that's not worth. Brothers and sisters, the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ is the supreme gift of all the world. And Jesus is not, Jesus is not something just to take to get out of hell. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you whereby He is the King of your life and where you esteem Him and you love Him and He becomes so worthy in your life that everything else pales in comparison. Jesus said, it's as if you buy the field just so you can get to the treasure in the field. Jesus is the treasure in the field. He's the treasure of our lives. The love of God is free, but it's not cheap. I would also say this from the text. The love of God is for anyone who trusts Jesus Christ. Look back at verse number 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let me do a Bible study with you just for a moment to kind of uh, push this home. Is it for anyone? Yes. Anyone who trusts in Jesus. Back up with me, if you would, a couple of verses, and let's stay in context. Verse 14 and 15 actually govern this great verse, verse 16. Jesus says in verse number 14, "...as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness..." 
Even so must the Son... You see how it's like, right? Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that, who, that whosoever believes in Him will have eternal life. Jesus is telling Nicodemus a story about the children of Israel in the Old Testament. They had been uh, mocking and murmuring and sinning. And so in this chosen people of God, the Israelites, right? They had sin in the camp and God sent all these snakes to bite them. And there were people that were dying and they were crying out for mercy. And so God told Moses to take this bronze serpent and put it up on a pole in the center of the camp. And all of those people who would look on the bronze serpent by faith that they would be delivered from their condition. That's what he's calling to mind. The chosen Israelite nation and the lifting up of a serpent to bring physical deliverance from the bite of the snake. Now look at how he transitions into verse number 16. Now it's not just the children of Israel, the chosen people of God in the Old Testament. It is the plan of God to unfold this way. For God so loved not just the children of Israel, but the entire world. For God so loved the world. And it's not just that a brazen serpent was lifted up for the chosen people of God. Now it is the Son of the living God who is lifted up so to draw all men unto Himself. So whereby in the Old Testament, it was the elect children of God who saw the brazen serpent to deliver them from the physical judgment. Now the grace of God goes out to the entire world. And rather than a brazen serpent being lifted up, it is the Son of the living God who is lifted up on the cross so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You ever ask yourself, why did God put a serpent? Right? I mean, you, come on, do you read that text in the Old Like, why, why look to a serpent? You know, anything but a, an angel, a dove, something. Why a serpent? Why a serpent there? And why does Jesus say here, just like the serpent was lifted up? Because in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15, the Bible says that God is bringing a curse upon the serpent, uh, the devil, and he says, one day you'll bruise his heel and he will crush your head. And all the way through the Old Testament, the authors are constantly reminding you all the way back in Genesis that one day there would be one who would crush the head of the serpent on the cross. And when Jesus goes to the cross, He conquers over death by death. Jesus brings deliverance to you and to me by taking my judgment for me and by taking your judgment for you, burying it in His life, dying on the cross, being raised again to life eternal so that any person in the world, not just in Israel, that's the context, is that not right? It's exactly what he's saying. He's comparing the children of Israel looking to the serpent. And now He changes it to the whole world looking to Jesus. Whosoever believes on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When we think about the love of God, you should understand that it is free, but it is not cheap. 
And it is for any man, woman, or boy, or girl in the world who will look to the cross, see their judgment there, and take Christ as the King of their life. Not only that, but I would say this, it frees us from judgment. Look at verse number 17 and 18. For God did not send His Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Brothers and sisters, I hope that you'll never grow tired of listening to the old, old story that Jesus Christ loved us enough to die on the cross to take our sin that we might have eternal life in Him. Whatever you're facing, whatever's going on in your life, whatever pain and tragedy and heartache, no matter what angst or anxiety that you're facing, I hope today that you will look up into heaven and say thank you to an Almighty God who cared enough to send His Son so that you could be delivered from judgment and be given eternal life. Did you thank Him this week for that? Did you rush through your week? Or did you pause a few times and worship God privately and say, thank you so much for loving me and giving your Son and giving me your love. The love of God is worthy. I uh, read this week, came across an article that said, uh, when Mickey Mouse goes to a concentration camp, now, if that's not clickbait, I don't know what is, right? I mean, uh, you, you, saw, you see a headline that says when Mickey Mouse goes to a concentration camp, especially when you have two kids under two, you're like, I'm going to read that article. Turns out that in 1942, a um, Jewish artist, graphic artist, was put in a concentration camp. He ended up dying at Auschwitz. But he was put in this concentration camp, and when he was there, he, uh, they gave him a little bit of paper, and so in the middle of this just death, seethy, dark concentration camp where people's bones were showing, where they were suffering and being gassed and starved to death, he began to draw sketches of Mickey Mouse in the concentration camp and put these little uh, humorous uh, storylines together. In fact, they survived him. He died at Auschwitz as they moved him. But the, uh, the, the writings are still alive today. And it showed how this artistic humor in the midst of this deep, dark, dungeonous despair that this kind of humor was able to bring some bit of light, some bit of love, some bit of goodness into the world worst conditions you could possibly think of. I thought that was wonderful. But I would say to you today, every human being in the world who does not have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior are in a concentration camp of sin. But this time it's not a German army that puts you there. It's you who put yourself there by your own sinful actions every day of your life. And the darkness and the despair that is there, 
cannot be redeemed by Mickey Mouse. Cannot be made new by artistic humor. No, the darkness in the unbeliever's life is so dark, they must have the love of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring them salvation. For in Him comes our joy and our deliverance and our redemption. Amen? Let's turn to Jesus in His love. Let's also look today at the light of God's holiness from verse number 19 to verse number 21. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifest as having been done or wrought or brought about by God. So this passage teaches us that if it is the love of God that redeems us, it is the light of His holiness that comes into the world through the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he's talking about here. I would say first of all today that the light of God demonstrates His kindness to humanity. Isn't that what happened in the very first creation of the world? That there was darkness upon the land and it was void and dark and God causes the sun to rise and the moon to come out and the oceans to recede and He separates the heavens and the earth and He brings creation about through His marvelous miracle and power and Word. And yet... In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, they sin against God and they condemn all of the race of the world into a sinful condition. But 2,000 years ago, when Jesus comes into the world as the new creation, He brings not only a light that lights like the sun on the physical earth, He brings the light of glory that shines into the hearts of men, exposes our darkness, and if we come to Him, He gives us new life. He brings about where there was darkness. He brings about His new creation inside of us. It is God's kindness to send His Son into the world for us. But notice this. The light of God's holiness reveals the darkness of our hearts. Would you look back with me at the text? This is the judgment, right? That the light has come into the world and men loved and love, present tense, the darkness rather than the light. For their deeds are evil. And for everyone who does evil, they hate the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. You should probably see there in the text the word light is capitalized. This is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he brings the light of God's holiness into the world. And can I tell you something? It's not just that we're neutral. It's not that we're just good people. We're bad people with bad hearts 
And the Bible teaches that when Christ comes into the world as the light, He shines into our lives and He shows us and reveals uh, the darkness that's inside. But rather than fleeing to Him for mercy, we want to run for Him and we hate Him. That's not my words, that's His words. And the hearts of human beings are set against God. It reveals our darkness. The light of God separates the saint from the sinner. Look at verse number 20 and 21. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. The word exposed here means more than just exposure. It means to be convicted and convinced of sin. To be shown to be guilty before a holy God. That's the reason why we don't come to Him. That's the reason why when we see Jesus and His holiness and His righteousness, it shines into our life and it shows us where we have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it condemns us in our guiltiness over our own sin. Look at verse number 21. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifest and having been wrought or done by God. You see, verse 21 isn't some sort of for believers. It's not like a put your thumbs in the suspenders and boastful way that you come to the light so you can show what you've done. No, true believers come humbly bent over before the light of God's holiness and they say, if there's anything good in me, it is because God has produced this inside of me. And ultimately, those who are unbelievers live their own lives in their own way going after their own desires in darkness. And those who trust Jesus live by the light of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Last week in the middle of the sermon, I needed to stop for a minute and bring some clarity. And this week too, I need to stop, especially since we're dealing now with the subject of judgment, God's judgment and hell. This is very weighty uh, subject. And so I just want to tell you what this church affirms. And what we believe that we affirm according to Scripture. So, number one, we affirm that the Scriptures teach that hell is a real, physical place of everlasting punishment for those who do not turn from their sins to Jesus Christ. It is not some ethereal world. It is not some, uh, uh, just some metaphorical language of the Bible. It, when you die, it's not just that you, you have soul sleep or grave sleep. or No, the Bible teaches that if you die in this life without Jesus, you wake up instantly in everlasting torment. That's not my words. That's the words of Jesus. Jesus said, it would be better for you to pull your eye out or cut your hand off or take your foot off than to enter into hell where your worm or your body or your life dies not and the fire is not quenched. Brothers and sisters, I know that's a weighty matter, but we must not back down from what the Scriptures teach. And if you're in this room today and you're an unbeliever, we want you to know that we love you and we long and desperately desire for you to put your faith and confidence in Jesus Christ so that you don't have to go to that place. We warn you with everything that is inside. It is real. It is a physical place. And it is everlasting torment. 
We believe, number two, that God loves and desires all people to be saved. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Don't ever let anybody tell you that God, God is glorified by damning people. No, sir, my friend, the heart of God is love. And if a person is judged to go to hell, it is because of their own sinfulness and rejection of Him. God loves and desires all people to be saved, but His holiness requires Him to judge sin. God is not the grandfather on the mountain that winks at all of our sin in the world. God is righteous and holy and without sin. He is utter light and utter love and He cares enough for the world to send His Son. But if you do not believe in His Son, God would not be a just and a biblical God to allow that kind of thing to go on in His very presence. God must judge sin because He's holy and He's righteous. And my great fear is that sometimes in our life, we dim the light of God's glorious holiness. So that we don't feel as guilty about our sin. Every sin in my life is an offense to God. And He is just on every level to judge me for it. Number three, that leads me to this. The severity of hell is in direct proportion. I wouldn't say that. The severity of hell is in proportion to the offense of our sin against God's holiness. Even hell is gracious for God. Somebody might say sometime this kind of question. How, can a, how could a finite, finite being ever sin in such a capacity as to require an infinite judgment in hell? The issue behind a question like that is a lack of understanding about the offensiveness of our sin to the holiness of God. Now, that's not my argument. Jonathan Edwards made this argument several hundred years ago. I think that it's right to understand that the reason why hell is so severe, the reason why hell is eternal, is because every time we sin, it is an absolute offense to the holiness and righteousness of God. And if you think today here, man, that makes God a little scary to me, good. It's good for you to be a little nervous around Him. I have a feeling that most people have, have a, a, a dire lack of fear of God. And so we live our lives doing what we want as if God somehow will just wave it on by and sweep it under the rug. He is a loving God. He is a kind God. He loves the world. He sends His Son. He provides everything for you. But please don't make any mistake. God is not mocked. And whatsoever a man soweth, that will he also reap. God is just as holy as He is loving. This is really difficult to preach today. I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says. I love you, but I want you to know the truth. Jesus died to save you, and yet He is holy and righteous. And if you're not following Him, 
and you don't trust Jesus, you'll perish eternally. Number four, although it is not the primary reason, it is a legitimate reason and motivation for believers to share the Gospel. The primary reason that we share the Gospel is for God's glory to resound around the world. We follow that up with that it is to be obedient to God Himself who gives the command to us. But somewhere along the line, the Bible is filled with warning passages. And it is a legitimate and an appropriate motivation for believers in this room today to ask yourself, in the last seven days, did I do anything remotely close to sharing the Gospel with an unbeliever? And if I were an unbeliever, and I knew you were a believer in Jesus, and I knew that the Scripture actually taught the horror of hell, how angry would I be at you if you didn't at least take a stab at it? Now you have to ask yourself today, do you believe what the Bible teaches about hell? And if you do, we want to glorify God, we want to be obedient to Him. I'm not saying that it is the primary, but somewhere in your heart you ought to think like this. Oh, Lord, I don't want any human being in the world that I have any contact with at all to ever go to that place. Help me to do everything I can to invite somebody to come to church to share my testimony about how Jesus saved me. Wrapped into that to share some gospel. How, how is it, my brothers and sisters, how is it that we can conquer every fear of our lives, but the motivation of hell does not conquer the fear of you sharing the Gospel with somebody? How could that be? I read this week about a man in the city, not this city, I think it was in San Francisco, he bought a house. Give me just a second, I'll finish here. He bought a house and uh, had a second story uh, balcony, sliding glass door and a second story balcony, and it was rickety. The balcony was just about to fall apart, so uh, he didn't get any permits. He just tore down the balcony, he was going to build another one there, and the city came in and said, you can't build a second story balcony. And he said, well, what do you mean? There's a sliding glass door here on the second floor. What am I supposed to do? Of course, there's supposed to be a balcony there. I need to get a permit. They said, no, we don't do that anymore. You cannot do that. And he said, uh, he said in the interview, he said, I have small children in my house. What do you think I did? He said, I, I realized that the sliding glass door, you'd walk right out to it and die. He said, so I boarded it up, painted it red, and put signs up, and I told my children every day, don't touch it. Hell is real. God's judgment is real. It's as real as walking out that door and dying. You put any boards up? You paint anything red? 
You sit anybody down and talk to them? Or are you more concerned about what's going on in the sphere of your life than the destiny of unbelievers? Well, what if you could be well off in those five essential areas? Hmm? What if your career was okay and your family was doing good and your community was all right and your finances and your physical condition were doing pretty good? And Jesus said this one time, what if it profits a man, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? I couldn't help but read that article and think about that just like that. What does it profit if you're well off in all five of those essential areas and in the one that matters the most, you're not? Would you bow with me for prayer? done the best I could today to try and share both sides with you. That God, in His amazing and infinite love, provides Jesus Christ to die for your sins and be raised again so that if you'd trust Him, He'd give you eternal life. And at the exact same time, God is holy and righteous and He will not abide our sin. If you're in this room today and you don't know Jesus, there could be no clearer fork in the road for you. Trust Jesus and have life eternal. Reject Jesus and perish eternally in a place called hell. If you're a believer in this room today, Glorify God for the love that you've received and ask Him to motivate you this week for His glory oh, and for the dire situation that unbelievers are in that He might give you an opportunity to share and invite and give the gospel to somebody. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.